Welcome to IT Visionaries, created by The Mission, your number one source for accelerated learning. On part one of this two-part interview on IT Visionaries, the CIO of Palantir, Arvind Casey, joins the show to talk about what he's learned from his past roles, Palantir's work and current successes, and the importance of connecting employees to the meaning of a company. We hope you enjoy the episode. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. The Lightning Platform is a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone is empowered to build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash build apps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. We are not in studio. We are at Palantir headquarters here in a cloudy day in Palo Alto with our buddy KC. How's it going? Very good. Thanks for having me. First question, I want to get right into it, IT conversation. How many people on your IT team have a mustache? Because I saw some pretty good <laughs> mustaches as we were walking around. Well, it's part of the creativity, and uh, we let people just do what they are. And uh, some choose, they are, we are a culture of builders, so some of them choose to do express that in their mustaches. So. I know. I, I'm like, is there a Palantir like mustache wax that they're giving around? Because I saw some pretty creative stuff. I'm not sure. That's a good question. I, th I think there might be. <laughs> All right. So we have a, a really fun two-part episode. We're going to do a ton about Casey's background as CIO of Palantir, his time at Facebook. Uh, he has a ton of insights working from some of the best CIOs in the world. We're going to talk about testing the soup. And then the second part, we're going to do a deep dive into the seven characteristics of successful engineering leaders. So let's get into it. First question, what is kind of the role and responsibilities that you have here as CIO of Palantir? Sure. So as CIO, everything that involves productivity and security of the enterprise is part of what I do. So more specifically, products towards uh, anything that we do for our infrastructure, our internal data, business applications, core engineering for internal applications, information security, developer tools, all of these are part of what I do over here. Ultimately, uh, any team that's part of my org comes back to the basic question of improving productivity and security for Palantir. I think Palantir, you know, it's so so cool to be here and to and to look around. We ate at the cafeteria as well, which is fun. It's really cool to be here and to see the types of problems that Palantir is is solving or helping companies solve with technology. What is your role in? You said before that IT fosters culture. Mm -hmm. What is the role of the IT organization in supporting the business and helping truly revolutionary technology you know, improve the lives of people around the world? Yeah, sure. Uh, so when you think about Palantir, whenever we go to our customer, we enable capabilities that cause them to be incredibly more effective, right? So if I use the analogy from Marvel, are you familiar with Iron Man? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the way we think about it is we find the Tony Starks of the world and make the Iron Man suit for them. Right. Oh, that's so that's great. what Palantir does for most of the organizations we become a part of. Uh, and when I think about IT for Palantir, our job really is to be Palantir's Palantir, which is we've got to give the Iron Man suits for the Iron for the people who are making Iron Man suits. Yeah. We're never going to be a large company of tens of tens of thousands of people. We believe in small, exceptionally high quality people, and we focus a lot on how do we make them 10x more productive. Now, to your point on IT fostering culture, 
I strongly believe that most CIOs think about IT only in the lens of productivity and security, uh, but there's a third dimension to it. So specifically, if you think about a day in the life of any employee, almost everything that they do work through is through some aspect of technology. So technology is the interface for them to do work. And the moment you keep technology mediocre, then you're sending a message that mediocrity is fine. The yeah. moment you keep technology as opaque, then you're sending a message that transparency is not valued. If you keep it as anything that's nothing than nothing less than world class, then you're saying that we don't value excellence over here. So IT has got this a very frontal role in ensuring that through the experience of technology, the culture that is fostered in the company is what we want it to be. I mean, we talk about in the podcast a lot how you know the tools that the people are using are so important because they, you know involve how much time they spend, like when something is slow or laggy or legacy, they have a lot of L's. That totally impacts not only their productivity, but also that culture, that feeling of like, am I being empowered? You know, one of the things we we were at Slack and we were talking to their head of facilities and they have like the vending machines where you can get kind of mm-hmm. just like pick up a laptop or a mouse or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you need for the simple fact that it's like, IT doesn't want to deal with that. They're mm-hmm. like, we don't want to be the approval authority on who needs, you know, a new mouse or something like that to remove friction. What are you kind of doing to remove friction here or to, you know, help help build those those Iron Man suits for employees here at Palantir? The vending machine is a thing that uh, we do something very similar over here. We don't do it something like a vending machine, but it's an open cabinet where people can go and pick up stuff. We do a lot of self-monitoring of the devices like video conferences that happen so people don't have to raise uh, any support tickets. We collect a lot of telemetry because for security reasons, and we analyze the telemetry to see how can we go and tell employees proactively that they're potentially going to have an issue in their machine, right? So uh, one of the metrics we measure ourselves is like the percentage of proactive support. So we don't want people to even have to think that they have to raise an issue. Could we anticipate that there are issues and fix them for, for them before they actually get to it? And how, are, how do you anticipate? Yeah, so for instance, we have OS Query running on laptops. OS Query can, you know, collects a bunch of telemetry. Uh, the telemetry can be both used for security, can also be used for things like somebody's got a disk which is like really full or somebody's got too many crashes of a process happening. So can we look at those examples and proactively reach out to the person and say, hey, can we, here's a new machine for you. We've swapped your data. Use this. You'll be much more productive. That's one example, but there are several such examples we do. And you've talked about like mediocrity and how that kind of creeps in. So how do you kind of push the pace of, of innovation and like av- avoid that mediocrity feature creep, for lack of a better letter yeah. word? That's a thing that is uh, ingrained into me from the Facebook days of like fighting mediocrity and resisting it. At Palantir, we do three things to, to, to keep this like top and center, right? So the first is you got to be very deliberate in your hiring. The moment you're going to hire for quantity, by default, you're compromising on quality. So we are super thoughtful about who we hire, why we hire. And we like small teams that have a huge impact as opposed to like large armies of people. So that's like the first, and like one of the questions I ask in the interviews often is, you know, asking people for uh, examples where they've had a huge impact or huge success, because that gives me a view into what does excellence mean for them. Right? So that's one way I, I, I tease out for mediocrity, right? 
The second thing is like we compare ourselves to who we were a year back every year, but we also compare ourselves to external data points. Like we compare ourselves as an IT organization on how many blog posts are we writing, which are of really high quality. How many projects are we doing that can be open sourced, that are open sourced, and how many people are like, you know, uh, following that repository, using that code, checking in. So those are all external metrics we use for building a reference org. And the third thing we do is we tend to be very self-reflective as an organization, right? So we often pause and see, where are we? What are we doing well? What are we not doing? As a real simple example, recently we felt that in the pursuit of crushing technical debt, uh, we lost a little bit of sight of like, how are we helping customers in some areas? And we are like refocusing on making the customer first. So this combination of like hire for excellence, set a North Pole of a reference org, and then like be very reflective has helped us fight mediocrity. One of the things I find fascinating about Palantir is that you're providing transparency for your customers in this kind of world where there's all this data and all these things that are out there and people are essentially having trouble seeing all of that stuff. And then you have a very transparent culture here. Why do you think that there's kind of this level of like Palantir is secretive kind of like that thing? I mean, it just kind of seems weird to me. Yeah, it seems weird to me as well, because when I interviewed for Palantir, I went and looked up YouTube and there were like, you know, dozens and dozens of videos on what Palantir does, <laughs> right? So I, I guess my shortest version of a way I've rationalized it is maybe people just look Google Palantir for old articles and use that to start the new article. Yeah, so they yeah, start yeah. us as like a secretive company. But I think we tend to be, we are shy and not secretive. And we are so razor focused on like helping the customer that we haven't really thought a lot about how do we speak to speak externally about ourselves. But you know, there's of course work that we do, which is which is which are things that are sensitive for uh, national defense, which we cannot share. But wherever possible, we are very open about the work we do. You can look up C4 ADS or NECMEC. They're great examples of how Palantir is used in the world. Yeah, actually, let's get into some of that. I, I would love to hear especially from your role as CIO, because I think, you know, as a CIO, you work with a lot of other like CIOs, CTOs, CEOs, and leaders externally. Like how is that kind of relationship? And then how has that led to some of the huge successes that you have that are, you know, in the public domain that people can check out? In terms of working with CIOs and, and CDOs externally, I spend a lot of time in helping them understand how to uh, become a data-driven organization. So that's where a lot of focus is. If you, if you look at like the successes we have in the world in terms of being data-driven, we have a philosophy of believing in AI, but not in artificial intelligence. We believe in this notion of augmented intelligence, which is the idea that it is not machines which are replacing humans, but the combination of machines and humans are going to be exceptionally powerful. And when we think about augmented intelligence, we apply that in ways that is very innovative, which actually we don't think about automating processes through data and analytics, uh, but we think about like, how should you rethink this process to let humans do what they do best and machines do what they do best and bring both of that together. And that's a DNA that's prevalent internally, it's externally, and that's what causes the successes that we've had. That's really fascinating. I love that. I mean, pretty much every single CIO that we talk to the thing that they're most excited about is AI. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think all of us collectively mm -hmm. as a society are really excited, but I love that I love that augmented intelligence because recently in an episode, we talked about Netflix's algorithm and how there's a huge human component to it. And the best things have this blend of human curation mixed with the algorithmic data. It's the Iron Man suit. You need Tony Stark. Yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, so what are what are some of the huge successes that you've that you've seen or that you've had over the years that you can share with the with the world? Yeah. So as a company, like a couple of examples come, right? So we have uh, we have two huge platforms. One is called Gotham and second is called Foundry. And Gotham is excellent at a thing, which is it's fantastic at finding networks that want to remain hidden. Right. So if you if you think about a classical detective movie that you see and you see the board where they have pinned different people, the same thing can be done in software much more effectively. And that's like Gotham. And so you can think about several examples of that. But it turns out that a very interesting use case is um, actually disrupting uh, networks that supply illegal weapons for to North Korea to further their nuclear program. Wow. There's an organization called C4ADS using Palantir as a platform with full of open source data uh, have been able to find who are the people who are supplying and disrupt these networks. Wow. Uh, but it's not just about humans. Like they do the, use the same open source data and find out people, the networks of poachers uh, who are going after like elephants and yeah. tusks. So the uh, you know the uh, the application of uh, this technology is as ubiquitous as it can be. It's crazy. I I just got goosebumps because I was thinking about my time in the military and when I was in Afghanistan and how like a lot of people just never realized how much that like local farmers are exploited by drug dealers who then are you know exploited by you know like terrorist organizations who are then being backed by money from like wherever it is that's coming like those type of networks the end to end use of things like that is like the farmer is just has a gun to their head and they're saying like you're going to grow opium when we were in Afghanistan there was a lot of like what was happening was like hey if someone's coming with a gun to your head let us know you should be growing whatever crops like can feed your family sort of thing I mean, that's a personal example that I've seen, but that's awesome. The, the, yeah. I mean, these, these unknown networks that are so complex that, you know, definitely a few, <laughs> few people on the ground is not going to solve the actual, is not going to find that network. And to know that there's technologies that are doing that is really empowering for me and my perspective. What are kind of the like results of that? Like finding the poachers and like finding yeah. these sort of things, like are they brought to justice? How does that work? Yeah, and there's actually a huge, uh, several articles written about C4 Radius success, but what they do is they take the results of it because they are a nonprofit organization uh, oh, cool. and they share it with the law enforcement authorities. Uh, but the law enforcement authorities now have data as to bring people to task. So that happens in both these cases. In examples of uh, like NECMEC, which is an uh, organization, is a national institute for missing and exploited children, they have a data problem where uh, there are close to thousands of cases of potential child abuse that happen every day. And your ability to find out the true positive over there without technology takes months. But you, but if you empower those humans with the right technology and which has been palantir for them, you're able to shorten it to a couple of hours or a couple of days. So you're wow. like really significantly reducing this. To me, these are the aspects where Palantir is super unique as a company because it's not about technology that's being used to like, you know, sell you one more ad or distract you or get you hooked to your gadget, but technology for bringing real change in the world. Man, that's just mind-blowing stuff. And for those of us who have either been on boards or worked with nonprofits, like we know how resource constrained they mm -hmm. are in a ton of cases and how technology and implementing technology is a lot of times really, really tough. With organizations where you're talking about going from, you know, helping abducted children from months to potentially days, 
is so incredibly impactful. How do those like results get kind of manifested back to the IT organization and back to you and your role and like sharing those successes and sharing those wins? Yeah. So the most important thing for people to bring their best in the organization is they need to be connected to the meaning of the company, right? And that is like this, you can you can talk a lot about compensation or uh, different aspects of it, but those are only valuable to a certain point. After that, people go above and beyond only if they resonate with the meaning of the company. So these are great examples where the talent we attract in Palantir are exceptional people who are not wanting to spend their lives in like doing one more ad or one more consumeristic thing, uh, but this gives them a lot of meaning. And that enables me in IT to truly attract talent that I think is better than I've, I've seen in IT in any other place, including Facebook. Let's get into Facebook a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, you were early to Facebook. So it was around 2,000 employees when you were when you were there? Just about. And you had a boss who was CIO that would love to, I'd love to just like hear more about your time, your scope responsibilities and what you learned there. Yeah. So Tim Campos was my boss in uh, Facebook and uh, a lot of the lessons I've learned on how to run IT are from him. I'll, I'll give you a specific example. When Tim got to Facebook, we are about like 50 to 60 people in IT. He didn't want IT to be a second class citizen when it comes to engineering. So he deeply believed in investing in like a, in engineering talent, both in leaders as well as getting engineers and in motivating us who were part of a staff to like really think big in terms of what we can do and not settle for vendor products that have a suboptimal uh, user experience. And I think like that is something that I brought with me to Palantir and we are very much a uh, engineering first organization, just in terms of like the number of blog posts, the number of open source we do, not just from Palantir as a product, but we do equal amount of those from, you know, uh, IT within Palantir, IT and information security. When I speak, when I say IT, I mean both of these together. How did the team kind of like grow over time and how did the, like your scope of responsibilities when you were there change? Because like, if you're talking, when you started, it was like about 50 folks and specifically at this time, super hard to hire mm-hmm. talent in the Valley. Mm-hmm. And you're probably competing within Facebook for talent, yeah. right? Like yeah. other engineers are like, hey, I, I want to go work on Messenger. Or I want to go work yeah. on something else, right? The second part is true. The first part was easy. Facebook by then was still a brand, which most people thought that they're going to cash out and want to join us. Or okay, many people yeah. believed a lot in the mission that uh, Facebook was after. So hiring externally was easier, but then preventing the bleed from external to internal was a lot harder And I think like a lot of credit to Tim on uh, ensuring that we go after problems that when solved has a huge impact on business. Uh, So Tim had uh, split his organization into, he would call it, you know, run, which is everything about running IT, build, which is building new things and plan, which is like thinking about where the organization is headed. And this plan, build, run model was how we had in the first half in trying to have people who are very thoughtful about what we should build engineering capabilities to build it and then run people who would make sure that people would give us a seat in the room and everything is running and we don't have to talk about like, you know, video conference issues and stuff like that. Did you have people that were, that would like, you know, like a rotational program, like people jumping from team to team, kind of like trying to figure out which one they liked the most and kind of settling in different areas? In Facebook, the way it worked is like everybody would join for a boot camp. In the boot camp, there would be a six-week boot camp program. And in the last two weeks, they would figure out which team they want to work with. But once you choose a team, you generally stay with the team for about a year and before you rotate on. So that both gave the uh, ability to choose, make an informed choice, as well as to you know give some stability to the team and not just have people jumping in and out. But ultimately, like you know, to your core question of how do you retain 
prevent bleed of talent from IT, you got to create a first order engineering organization where people want to be. If you have a second rate engineering organization, they'll definitely want to go back to product. And Palantir is no different. Like the engineers we have are exceptional. And I have the same thing of people, do they want to work on add-on to uh, to Microsoft because it's not complete as a product suite? Or do you want to go and like build something for, uh, you know, something that's of national importance? I think, I mean, I think that that's really fascinating because there's no saying that, you know, they leave and come back or switch back and forth. And like, ultimately, I mean, it's the, the adage is like, people don't leave companies, they leave leaders, right. right? So, I mean, ultimately, if your team is a fun place to work and you're working on hard problems and you're pushing the pace of innovation, I mean, I think that that's an empowering thing for mm-hmm. an employee, especially when you're making the people that sit next to you in the office, their lives better, right? Like, it's really fun working with customers, but it's also really fun making the lives better for the people around you that Correct. you eat lunch with and that, you know, you hang out with at holiday parties and all that. Absolutely. And I think that's the joy of IT is that the user is not a nebulous user. It's a person who's actually your friend. Yeah. Uh, and that creates a different set of motivations. The joy of IT Written by KC, we're ready for the book. <laughs> It'll be like, like with a Bob Ross wig and uh, like Joy of Painting. Anyone? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure how many will read it, but it sounds like a good title. One of your favorite phrases is testing the soup. Yeah. So what does that mean and, and how do you implement that? Yeah, so it's tasting the soup. is um, It's a phrase used by one of our uh, leaders, Sham. And the idea is that to be really, uh, to be a good leader, you need to have the ability to go deep and and like go and to do deep dives and every once in a while taste the soup so the experience that you have is firsthand right so there are there, there are a couple of aspects of leadership the one aspect of leadership that's talked a lot about it is we need to enable people who are in the trenches and ensure that they are successful tasting the soup is we also believe that once in a while we need to be in the trench yeah and and that's like very much germane to our dna and palantir and that causes us to learn from first principles and first-hand experience when we make changes. And we'll, you know, we'll talk a bunch in the next episode about how much you're coding, how much you're building stuff. But I think that that's that's a really interesting thing. And I think a lot of times, especially in like organizations where you know we've had we've talked to CIOs where they have a thousand people on their mm-hmm. team or something like that, that there's a lot of like, what is it like to be. Um, you know, the uh, what's that show? Undercover boss, mm-hmm. right? Of of going back down. Switching gears to like IT business partnership, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of CIOs struggle to partner with the business because of kind of legacy, that mm-hmm. like legacy CIO, what's your role, mm-hmm. what's your seat at the table kind of scenario. seems like that's not really the case here at Palantir, obviously. How much are you involved in like customer facing interactions and partnering with the business. Yeah, so 50% of my time is actually in customer facing interactions oh, and wow. like being so that's like a fairly significant amount of my time. But if I go deeper into your question like what causes people to partner with business deeper, I think a couple of things come out for that is one is you need to absolutely be certain that you're taking care of all the things that are downside minimization, which is things uh, which when not done well will cause people to hate you. And like, you know, when done very well, nobody will tell you anything. A classical example is my laptop is not working. My video conference is not working. So you spend a lot of time in making sure that the, that noise doesn't exist because then automatically people realize that you're a well-run organization and they want you to have a seat at the strategic table, right? 
you have to also invest a lot of time in understanding what the company does and what its products are. And it so happens that data and analytics is a passion of mine and almost like everybody in my team. So we very intrinsically understand what Palantir does. And that lets us be part of the conversations with customers as well. That's uh, 50% is a lot. That's right. One of the things that we do there, which is which causes that is we have probably among the best information security and the best way to build infrastructure. So often at times, it's not just about Palantir, uh, but it's educating our customers on what you have done internally. How do you go to cloud in a way that's code? How would you deploy a world-class information security organization? And they love to hear from us on that. So it's we truly believe with our customers is we don't engage for the specific problem that they have done, but we think of them as partners. I mean, I think that the, what we've seen from a lot of the CIOs that we've talked to on the podcast is if you're selling into that group, they need to understand that you have these same problems, right? Like Correct. if you know if you're not drinking the uh, proverbial uh, same Kool Aid, then like why why are they going to trust you? And I mean, I would imagine that you'd be a huge asset to your sales organization to be like, hey, talk to him. <laughs> you yeah. guys go get coffee together. But you know, this is what this is why we think it's a good idea. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, one of the other products or platforms that we have is called Foundry. We use that externally, extensively internally for all our data analysis, including that's how I run the IT organization. So it becomes very easy to show them examples of the transformation that's happened by using our products. For innovation amongst your team, do you all do, and maybe this is like company-wide, I mean, Palantir has a unique philosophy on like culture and leadership mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, I mean, do you do things like, you know, citizen development? Do you do hackathons? Do you do app development? Like, what are some of the things that drive innovation here internally? Yeah. So we do all of most of those things. That's class, That's right now become almost commodity in most companies in the Valley. Everybody does that, right? But I think like it's more important to think about what do we do different. I think the thing that we spend a lot of time focusing on is creating space, right? Innovation is often a function of people having space to think. The biggest impediment to innovation is busyness. So if you're exceptionally busy, you're not going to be innovative. So we spend a lot of time in thinking about what are the rituals we need to have so people can be in a state of flow. What are rituals that we can do so that people can do deep work? And the, and the exhaust from that is innovation, right? So you need to create the right conditions and the output will follow. So what are some of those rituals? Yeah, so a bunch of things. And uh, for instance, if I, if I look at you know, Slack or email or uh, you know, wikis and all the tools that have come out, these are really like the new age WMDs, right? They're, yeah. not, they're not like weapons of mass destruction, but they are the weapons of mass distraction, nice. right? So we uh, first, as we spend, we spend time thinking about like any tool that we add, does it like help with with, with flow? We have uh, you will see a bunch of LEDs in the displays over here as you walk outside. So those LEDs in the open office, we have an app where you can turn yourself into a focus mode. And when you do that, the LEDs turn red, and everybody around you knows that I'm in the zone. Don't come and spend time with me. We do things like no meeting days in the week, no meeting weeks in a quarter. The room that was opposite, which you repurposed now, until about a month back used to be a deep work room. So it's like, you know, almost, it feels like a spa. It's very quiet. Anybody who wants to deep do deep work will go and sit there. And different teams are finding different ways to bring this into practice. So these are some examples. Let's take a quick break. We're going to hear much more in part two. Come back. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. 
IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce, a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone can build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps.